You're listening to the Business of Pharmacy podcast with me, your host, Mike Kelzer. Well, hello, Danielle. Hi, Mike. Thank you for having me on today. Absolutely. Good to have you on. Uh, Danielle, for those that haven't come across you online and the things that you're doing, introduce yourself and tell us what's going on hot right now. My name is Danielle Perrin. I'm from Louisiana. I'm a pharmacist, so I've been a hospital pharmacist for 15 years now, and I am launching a style and image consulting business. 15 years, Danielle. You must have graduated when you were nine because... (laughs) Nope. Actually, um, I took off three years before I actually went to school, to college. Wow. So I just look very young, and that is part of my story. Um, I know a lot of pharmacists get that, especially women pharmacists. Um, They feel like they look still like that teenager or that young adult, and they haven't really stepped into that professional role of being a pharmacist. And they get that a lot, and it can be um, discouraging, actually. What problems do you come across with that when people see you as being younger looking back of it a lot of it came from my own mind my own thoughts about it uh, being a bad thing i guess but because when i was younger and you were a teenager like you always wanted to look older right right <laughs> especially as a girl but um so that was not fun but then whenever i became a pharmacist um i kind of stepped into a leadership role right away yeah um so i was there was probably about um six or seven ish pharmacists that i was clinical director over at one point and um and also heading pharmacy and therapeutic meetings and working with i was working with intensivists in the icu and so whenever you're at the table doing rounds or at the you know head of that meeting um I think that the deal is most people are not looking at you, oh, she looks so young, she doesn't know what she's talking about. But unfortunately, that was the monologue that was going in my mind. Yeah, if that's going on in your head, then you can sometimes portray that to others. And it's like a never-ending downward spiral almost. Yes. And I've actually had this conversation with, you know, another pharmacist this past week. And she had the same thing. And I'm like, I'm right there with you. I know what what that feels like. But it's just that I think a lot of us, especially pharmacists, since you step into that six-figure role right away. Right. But yet your identity is still in the past. So you haven't, like, actually grown into it. And so you attract, like, some bad... situations that don't necessarily go your way because the focus is all on you instead of the task at hand. So how did that feel then? So where does that go then when you're in that and then you're ahead of these people? Well, let me ask this. How did you get in charge of six other pharmacists at this table? How does that happen? Had you already been out for a while or? That's a really great question and I have a secret to share. (laughs) So it's the only thing is, is Um, putting your name in a hat that nobody else wants to be in. Hmm. Right. I had not been out of school for long. Um, Actually, I got pregnant. Um, I was married and, you know, found out I was pregnant whenever I walked the stage for graduation. So there was no um, just me and my husband time. It was literally out of school, walking across stage, starting a job. And so I started this job at this 300-bed hospital as a staff uh, pharmacist 
And we called ourselves staff clinical pharmacists because, you know, you have a lot of clinical roles sure. doing that. And I gravitated to the clinical roles where um, the older pharmacists had been there probably, you know, 10 years and they kind of shied away from that stuff. So, you know, yeah. I was one of the first Form D classes. So I was just, they were, you know, bringing us up through all the disease classes. And, you know, I, w I had a lot of interest in it also. So fast forward, you know, nine months, I had my daughter. I was working shift work, so sometimes I was getting off at 11 p.m. My uh, commute was 50 minutes, so I'd get home at midnight. And so I knew in the back of my head, mine, I didn't want to continue doing the shift work with a young daughter at home. Right. And so the ICU physicians um, decided they wanted a um, dedicated pharmacist in the ICU. Everyone knew that the ICU physicians were really mean and scary. <laughs> the nurses were too. So, yeah, like, who would want that job? No one. And right. no one took it. And so, the pharmacist that I worked with while I was in school as an intern at Walmart. Yeah. Um, his name is Joe Fontno. He actually kind of stayed a mentor as mine. I ended up being his neighbor. And so, we would have get togethers. And at that point, he became um, a board inspector. And he knew that this opening was there. And he was like, why, why aren't you putting your name in that hat? And so that's why it's really important who you surround yourself with. Because if right. it wasn't for him, I never would have put my name in the hat. I would have just had that feeling. He was like, you're just as qualified as anyone else. And yeah. nobody wants it. So. <laughs> <laughs> and nobody wants it. Yeah. Well, so bring us forward then, Danielle. You're in this job. You're having these feelings around the table. Now... Are we just talking about you having these feelings just because we happen to be talking about it now? Or was it a significant burden for you? Did you really think about this a lot at the time? Um, I think it was always subconsciously like in the back of my mind. Yeah. Um, what I came to realize recently, I always thought I was the, like one of the most positive people. Mm -hmm. And my family at work, just in general, but I have recently come to find out that there are a lot of subconscious thoughts that we walk around with sure. and hold us back. And I just realized that that was one of them for sure. Yeah. Um, and I know being a female as well, that was right. another um, thing. So I started off as ICU clinical pharmacist. And then there was a management rearrangement. I got bumped up to the clinical director. And at that point, um, I kind of felt like I was in the gentleman's club. <laughs> right. And it was all in my head. Like, looking back, it was all in my head. And so um, with that, it did bring me a struggle. And I never felt fully fulfilled with my positions. I always felt like I wasn't doing enough or giving enough. Yeah. No matter how hard I would try. So with that, it was always... Um, hard to be, you know, completely satisfied. Was any of that external? Was any of that from maybe passive aggressive even comments from the gentleman, let's say in the, we'll use that term loosely, but the gentleman in the gentleman's club? I think sometimes there would be chuckles and just, um, you know, you when you're focused on one thing, that's all you see. And so right. I think I was focused on that old belief. And yeah. so when it, you know, anything I took as Oh, if I was a guy, that'd be different, you know? Right. And so, you know, now I'm a life coach. Yeah. Like, I know what was going on. I could, right. you know, diagnose myself, I guess. But um, the only thing that I ever experienced that was, like, really direct is one time I was at this, um, I was at a dinner. 
Um, the governor was there. All the pharmacists in the area were there. This was years ago. And there was a group of pharmacists sitting at a table. I was walking around mingling, and I knew some of the pharmacists. It was, you know, husband-wife couple that I had um, worked with before. And there was also a pharmacist that I had done relief with. I had never really talked with him personally. Yeah. Um, so I'm just standing there. Imagine me standing there in front of this table of pharmacists. Right. And there was some drinking at the meeting. Yeah. And he went on to practically pull me onto his lap. Really? Wow. Yeah. You were in the Me Too movement before the Me Too movement. I never thought of it that way. I mean, in the line of fire of that, not in the movement, but in the in that predicament. Yeah. And I just remember being so embarrassed. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You did that for a number of years. The reason we're talking today is because now you've gone to a personal stylist and image consultant. Where did that jump come in? Was this building up from some of the things we were talking about? Or was this just something you've always loved to do? And how did that fit into your... Because you've, you've worked for 12 or 13 years, you were saying? 15 years. 15 years in the pharmacy you were working. So when does that shift take place and why? Yeah, so I just to answer your first question, I think all of the little things that happened along the way were, you know, have brought me to where I am now, of course. I always loved fashion as a young girl. I love Barbies. I love, um, you know, paper dolls. I just always gravitated to that. Um, I have five sisters, so oh. <laughs> a lot of that. You know, I just... Any brothers? One brother, and we would dress him up as, as a girl. <laughs> and, and he would be your model, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, of course. We would dress him up as a girl. Yeah, so I just always loved, you know, princess, Barbie, fashion. Um, it's just, you know, what I enjoyed. And I guess, so I became a pharmacist um, once I decided to go to college, because at first I didn't even want to go to college. I yeah. didn't have plans to go to college. And... When I became a pharmacist and a mom and a wife and doing all the things, it didn't really leave any room for any of my passions or any of my hobbies or, you know, I was just always yeah. trying to be the best pharmacist that I could be and the best right. mom that I could be and the best wife that I could be. Right. Um, and I just didn't realize at the time how important that was to, yeah. you know, just being a whole person. Right. Um, so the reason I became a stylist. Yeah was it happened in July when I had the notion that I could get paid for this. And there were some things that happened before that. But in July, that's when it really, the light bulb came on, like, you could help people do this. Um, I was talking to another coach whom I was trying to figure out my niche, right? Because everyone says yeah. you have to have a niche, you have to have a target market. I was already a certified life coach. Okay. I knew that I could help anyone transform anything. I'd right. already done it in my own life. I had done it with some clients. Um, I knew that I had a path that I could help people with, but I didn't know who I wanted to target. You know, the it would have made a lot of sense to be a health coach. Right. Help people with their medication or with their health. But I was already doing that as a pharmacist, so that right. didn't, like, really excite me. Yeah, right. The coach that I was speaking to, she's asked me, what do you love to do so much that you would do for free? So I've always had really good jobs. Like I've always had 
um, either closed door or clinical. Like I've always had a stool. I've always had bathroom breaks. I've always had lunch breaks. I've, I haven't done retail since I worked as an intern for Walmart, which I felt really bad not going to work for Walmart because they did like support me during school. Yeah. But um, I had a mentor tell me that you should, re- if you have an interest in hospital, you should try it right away because it's hard to go back. Oh, that's yep. interesting. In the last half dozen years then, have you been doing part-time at different places or have you been doing full jobs or complete jobs, but then one after another? Full-time jobs. But then moving to another job after the other job. Yes. I felt like there was always something more. Right. Like, I just always felt like I'm not in the right place. Yeah. If you ever read Marie Forleo's book, Everything's Figure Outable, that's her story. Like, she talked yeah. about how, you know, she started off on Wall Street, and then she always felt like there was this voice telling her she was in the wrong place. And I feel like that was kind of me. Like, I always felt like I had these amazing jobs. Amazing jobs. I had the chair. I had the window. I had, you know, the lunch breaks. I had, you know, leadership roles where I was making a difference. I was, you know, creating policies and I was in the meetings. And But there was just always something that just, I don't know, there was just always something kind of missing. Did that present itself to you as like a depression or did it present itself to you as like, life is great and I want it greater? It's funny that you say that. So it it felt more like a depression, like a lacking. And it felt like, um, it almost felt like bad because I should not feel that way. I had a lot of loss as a young adult. So that's kind of where it all came from. Um, mm. I had high expectations for myself because I had so much loss. So when I graduated high school. I got married when I was 18. He was in the military. He had a daughter. And she was, she had just turned a year right before we got married. And three months after we got married, she died in a car accident. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, so it was so hard and devastating for both of us. And then wow. three years later, he died in a car accident. Oh, yeah. my gosh. I'm sorry to hear that. So I'm like, yeah. So it wow. kind of explains why I always felt like I need to live for them because they can't. You realize the fragileness of life and there's no time to waste. Yeah. And you got to be doing what you feel is fulfilling because you're fulfilling some of their hopes and dreams too that they haven't been able to yeah yeah wow i'm sorry to hear that none of us should apologize for looking but it made you look certainly without apologies right like i had a driving force within myself that was stronger than the judgment of other people right so when did you know then that you were probably going to do something in addition to pharmacy? Um, So I knew without a shadow of a doubt when I became a life coach. Like I never felt more called to do anything and it didn't matter how much it cost or what it, how long it took, or it was just a feeling that just was felt so right and was like so much bigger than myself. 
Um, and when you did that, you did that with the possibility that you would turn that into a money maker. What I really came to the conclusion was that um, the more money you make, the more people you can help. Yeah. My my plan B, if I didn't get into pharmacy school, was to join the Peace Corps. Hmm. And I, I could have done it. Um, there was a life insurance policy that my husband had. You know, I could have just gone to the Peace Corps, but right. somehow, miraculously, I got into pharmacy school. Yeah, right. And so I think there was just always a calling to help people. Yeah, um, right. And... But definitely, you know, always felt like, yes, I have to, you know, earn an income like anyone else. And um, a lot of these people are, uh, you know, what's the the fire movement, you know, retire early and and all mm -hmm. the small homes and things like that. Yeah. And I've got 10 children and my. my That's awesome. I don't have a I don't have a choice, you know. My, <laughs> they like, part of they my, like to eat. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Part of my God given direction now is that I need to make money to you know to feed them, or at least yeah seven tenths of them. I have got three of them gone, but I still got seven at home, and there's no apologies for that. Mm -hmm. That that's that money keeps them alive. <laughs> right, you know? right, exactly. So, so you knew that going into life coaching, you were going to use that for something. When was your first move before now of a realistic thought outside of pharmacy? Mm -hmm. So I became, let's see, so I became certified last February. Okay. And it was a six-month program. But prior to that, I was on my own transformation journey. I had gained 50 pounds. I was depressed. Take it from me. 50 pounds is water weight. <laughs> I know. I know. But I'm so short. But it was it was affecting how I showed up right. in life. Right. Of course. I was missing events. Um, I had a coworker who was having a wedding. Um, I had nothing to wear because I didn't want to shop because I didn't like the way I looked in the mirror. Right. Um, I was buying clothes that were like tents just to hide everything. Yeah. I went late to the wedding, left early, you know, that kind of thing. But um, I was depressed because I wasn't, I wasn't doing any hobbies. I wasn't, you know, fulfilling any passion of mine. I was literally going to work doing the laundry. I had began isolating myself from friends. Um, I, this was the big kicker for me. Um, I had been asked to give a graduation speech, eighth grade graduation. Um, I had been asked to serve in a friend's wedding. It was actually a friend of mine, my neighbor that, um, had raised my daughter practically, you know, she helped raise her. And so, like I owed so much to her, yeah, but right. at that point I had gotten so depressed and I didn't want to get, um, I was very, I had some negative thoughts about myself and I didn't want to put myself in uncomfortable um, circumstances anymore. Sure. I just said, I'm just not going to do it. And so, yeah. you know, a lot of people will say, just say no and, you know, don't overbook yourself, don't overschedule yourself and right. just, you know, all those things. And so I was like, 
I'm just going to start telling people no. Like, I'm yeah. just not going to say I'm going to go to the event. And I'm just right. not going to go and do the thing and be in, you know, the public eye. But then that felt even worse. Yeah, right. I, you know, how many kids I could have impacted from that speech. Yeah. And, you know, the girl who I said, no, I didn't want to be at her wedding. I know that had to hurt her. Right. Right. And the, and the fact is, you're not not doing it because you're overbooked. You're not doing it because of depression and you don't feel like it and you don't want judgment and all that kind of stuff. Right. I was not showing up because I was insecure. Right. And And it was getting worse. So whenever you don't, you know... It's not like you're just maintaining, like it's a spiral down because the more you isolate yourself, the you know, the more depressed you get and that kind of thing. You know, you gain more weight and then it's just it just becomes a spiral, really. It does because I've been through some of that and frankly, if you're gonna gain some weight, it's better for people to see you about every two pounds and let them get used to it <laughs> than than hiding in your house and then coming out, you know, thirty or fifty pounds heavier. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, totally. Like, it's, whoa, it's, what happened to her? You almost feel like if you're depressed, you're like, hey, even if I'm depressed, once <laughs> once a month, someone just pick oh, me up God. and just show me around to people so they can <laughs> so they can see what I look like. You they know, they need to see this transformation. Come they, on. They, yeah. they they need to see it gradually so they're not shocked. So Danielle, oh, how many gosh. years ago? How many years ago was that climax then of what you're talking about the eighth yeah. grade graduation and that kind okay, of stuff? Okay, so that was about three years ago. And then I heard a mentor say, you know, are you living your life for, you know, money possessions? Um, have you fallen into what's called the achievement trap is what it's called, where you keep thinking you're going to be happy when, yeah, when you have the house, when you have the car, when you have right. the job. So I kept thinking, you know, when I have the right job, I'm just going to be right. happy, I guess. Um and so he said that, you know, you need to be living a life of significance, a life of um, fulfillment. That's just when it kind of just slapped me across the face. And I was like, I'm not like, you know, and then it came to me as, you know, the promise that I made to myself, life is too short. If I was on my deathbed today, looking back, like I really couldn't just saying I was a pharmacist and a mom, you know, all of those things are great. Right. But I wasn't serving. Um, so I think that was a huge part of it. So what I started doing was I committed to start going live on Facebook once a week and inviting people on the journey with me. And I started learning law of attraction, um, the positive, you know, image things, um, just personal development, because that was always a love of mine back then also was personal development. What gave you the energy to even have a mentor was this mentor a book or was it a a person or it's a great question so what snapped me out of it was whenever i got reintroduced to fashion and beauty so it was a love of mine that had like closed off and then when i opened it up again it was like just i had all of this energy all of a sudden let's say you're overweight you're depressed you you, you know you don't feel like this this and that you have enough in you to say you have a mentor, and that's because that mentor was in the fashion no. industry? No. Let, let me explain this so you're going to laugh at this. So I found myself selling hair extensions and lashes. You were doing that on the side. I started selling hair extensions and lashes on the side. Online? Online. And it reignited 
my passion for the beauty industry. I started that while I was in pharmacy. But you started that while you were like depressed and not feeling like going out and that kind of stuff? The opportunity was presented to me and it's it sparked something in me. It sparked that, um, reignited that, that energy inside that enjoyed doing that. Yeah. But then also enjoyed connecting with people. And so obviously if I'm selling a product, now I have to go out and sell it to people, which means I have to oh, get out of my house gotcha. and start reconnecting with friends. And I was no longer able to just be on social media and like hide behind the screen. Now I needed to show up and connect. And so I slowly started reconnecting with people. If you knew that was going to make you go outside of your house and you had to talk to people and you didn't feel like it and all that, why did you say yes to the lashes and the hair extensions? Because I was excited again. And I hadn't felt that in a really long time. Gotcha. You saw a little bit of it. It raised some excitement. You saw more raised excitement and so on. And finally, that gave you some focus. And it kind of made you forget about why you were hiding. Yeah. So it's like whenever you have a goal or whenever you have something to... All of a sudden, I had something to work towards too. Exactly. Yes. So it just kind of like jolted me out of there. And now it's like, oh, I have something that I can work on. Um, and just kind of like disrupted the whole hamster wheel. Yeah, right. And so now I'm wanting to promote these products and I have zero self-esteem. Yeah. And I want to start showing them to people. And that's when I really realized how bad my thoughts about myself were. That's when you needed to look to mentors. Because I wanted to press play and go live and I could not for the life of me. For three months, I tried to convince myself. You had that struggle where you wanted to do this, but you said, I'm in a position where I can't. I cannot. And so what is keeping me back if I'm such a positive person? You had to give up one or the other. Either you had to give up the thing that ignited a little fire in you. You either had to give that up or give up staying in your shell at home. You had to pick one mm -hmm. or the other because you couldn't have both. I could not have both. And I knew the pain of change was less than the pain of staying the same. Exactly. And so I just put myself out there. It was awful. Don't go back and watch the videos. They're terrible. But I just showed up. And really and truly, the secret to showing up for that was that I showed up as authentic as I could. Like, I put on zero makeup, and I'd do it at, like, 5 in the morning when my hair wasn't even brushed. And I would say, hey, you guys, I didn't brush my hair yet. <laughs> it took 90 days for me to actually go live. And when I, go, oh. when I went live, I said that I'm just... You know, I'm inviting you on this journey. I'm going to teach what I'm learning. And right. so, you know, what you when you teach something, you learn it on a totally different of course. level. And so I think that's why it really, like, integrated into me. Um, and you didn't do any non-live videos before that? No, definitely no YouTube. <laughs> I did um, selfies, and that was, like, growing pains as well. I could not look at the selfie. I was, like, disgusted with it. My first live video was, <laughs> it was on, because um, they said, you know, you could either educate, inspire, or entertain. So I decided I was going to educate and share a product that I was using that I wasn't selling. And it was the Dollar Shave Club. I had people watching me right when I was doing it. And it was the scariest thing ever. And I kept thinking, and I think what kept me from doing it for so long was that I was working in a hospital system. And there were going to be people 
on there that I work with. And one day, the physician that's the chairman of our PNT committee hopped on. You had someone from work then on there watching you. <laughs> it was awful. But the greatest thing what kept me going was I had people from work in other, you know, departments that were saying, keep doing what you're doing. You're helping people. You're helping me. I helped a nurse in ER um, quit smoking, helped one lose weight, like just by showing up and sharing what I was learning. And so that kept me going because, you know, anytime you can help someone else, it's like it takes away the focus of the focus on you and puts it on someone else. Right. I just put it out there and tell them how I felt and, you know, how even though I'm a pharmacist making six figures didn't mean that everything was all, you know, roses over here on this side. I shared, you know, my struggles. I shared my past loss. Um, I shared how, um, you know, all of those things, how, you know, even though, yes, you have beautiful kids, a great family, they're still, you know, things that you have to work on. You need to be a whole person. You know, we have all of these different layers of needs that go past our, you know, primary needs. Like we need um, to do things that we're passionate about. We need to connect with community. Um, there's just so many things, but I just started sharing that and people started paying attention. There's two ways that people talk about you know, making it in quotes. And one is fake it until you make it. You know, you coming online as the expert and saying this and that. The other way is to show that journey. And it sounds like you took the path of that journey. And that was important to bring others along out of where they might be in your same position. When I had that coach ask me, what would you do you love so much you would do for free? Right. I knew the reason of the question. The question was that that's where your moneymaker is. That's where, you know, you follow that and you're going to just enjoy it so much that, you know, people will throw money at you. Um, so I knew that I wanted to do less pharmacy. I didn't feel completely fulfilled in it. Um, I, I love the drugs. I love the medication. I love all of that. But doing, you know, order entry or the same meeting. It just felt like everything. It felt like Groundhog Day, kind of. I really wanted to give her some other logical answer like a health coach, but I couldn't deny that day that she asked me that. It was a hot July day in, in Louisiana, and I had spent all day, it was my day off, helping to um, fashion a photo shoot. It was a promotion for fashion weeks. I just kept waiting for someone to call me out and say, you don't belong here. Like you're a scientist and you're not supposed to be here. But like, oh my God, it was just so amazing being in that energy of everything. That's what I knew. Like, I'm just, you know, whatever I could do to get a name, my name at the table. And um, it turned out that the CEO at Fashion Week, she's actually, she has a biology degree and she was thinking about going to pharmacy school. So then the second year, I, even though I really didn't make any money the first year, I was, you know what, I'm going to be a sponsor again because um, the, it's an all-inclusive fashion week. Body type, skin color, it does not matter. The only thing that matters is that you show up confidently. And so I loved that it promoted that. 
And so I just wanted to support it. It was the second year that I had started. And then the third year, I actually convinced the CEO of my hair and lash company to donate lashes to all of the models. So still not making any money with it. But this year coming, I am actually launching as my name. So Danielle Paradin LLC. I just got my LLC. Um, I am announcing myself as a personal style and image consultant. Um, and in doing that, I've, I've coached the CEO before because she had some stressful, obviously it's pretty stressful doing fashion weeks. And so I've coached her and helped her. And since then, she's decided to create what's called Fashion Institute of Louisiana. So now she's creating a school and she's invited me to be a board member, which, you know, it's kind of insane. And so, okay, so at this point, I'm convinced that this is a real thing that I can pursue. And so I ended up taking another position as director of a behavior health system because it was Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, 12 hour shifts. So now I could work Tuesday and Thursday. I could take private clients, schedule calls on those days, and I'll have the weekends off for any, you know, shoots. But I still, it just still didn't feel right. So I took that position last February and I decided to step down to PRN in November, which was the scariest thing ever, especially in this day and age of pharmacy. <laughs> But I had the confidence in myself. Like I know I'm not gonna let my children starve. I'm, I have paid clients, so I know that the, the, what I struggle with is because I look for more PRN pharmacy work sometimes instead of looking for PRN, um, paid clients. Because my brain is just like, that's guaranteed, that's guaranteed. But really nothing is guaranteed. So we kind of fall into that um, certainty mindset it's comforting when things are certain and pharmacy is just always certain. Um, but I just decided to uh, take the risk, bank on myself. And so far, so good. I haven't had to go out and look for any PRN pharmacy work. It's all come to me. In fact, I'm going to a job after we get off of this later. Um, How many hours are you working a week average PRN? Um, probably about 24. And that's hospital community it's hospital inpatient um the behavior health and then also long um, long-term care so nursing home kind of thing which they also do hospice and home infusion um, and then danielle how much don't give me figures but give me percentages mm -hmm. how much of your income right now is non-pharmacy what percent um, I couldn't tell you the percent. What my goal is to replace, think of it as one day of pharmacy work at a time. Gotcha. So I think, you know, I'm going to get paid this amount of money to show up at a pharmacy. Yeah. And then I think backwards, how many clients do I need to replace that? I gotcha. So what you do in your mind is you say, all right, we're going to, we're going to break this down into days. If I were not to work a day at the pharmacy, and I got to do something I really, really enjoyed. Mm -hmm. How many clients would it take 
to first replace one day and then maybe two days and three days and so on. Yes. So if you're working 24 hours a day, you're not necessarily replacing two days yet. 24 hours a week. I mean, 24 hours a week. Hey, you're <laughs> a mom. That good. You're I'm a mom. That. I know. I mean, technically, yes. I'm yes, working 24 hours a day because I am learning. I am cooking and cleaning. Exactly. I, exactly. Now, the best thing that I did do was um, to go and outsource some of the cleaning, which I had oh, a pharmacist, good. a male pharmacist tell me ever since I was in pharmacy school, every female pharmacist should oh, for sure. hire out. For sure. Exactly. <laughs> Let me ask this. Have you been able to replace... A half a day's income yet or not? Like once a you mean every week? Every week. Um, so let me see how this, because my clients pay me up front usually, and it's like a three or six month package. So right now I would say I'm replacing one day a week because normally I you. would need to work four days at least. Good um, for you. Yeah. So... It's just been comforting because I didn't really believe that it could work. That That's great. I felt so I went here in in November and I thought that was the worst idea ever because it was right before the holidays and I was like Right. Uh, um this might be the worst Christmas ever. <laughs> right. But it it hasn't been um I've had, you know, client that um you know signed up for 3 months, she she resigned for another 3 months. Right now, wow. I have a client that, um, you know, she's paying me once a month and she, um, that's one day that she's covering. So my yeah. goal would be to have 10 clients total and I would feel really comfortable. Um, but I don't want to get out of pharmacy, you know, altogether. I do love it and I do enjoy it to some degree, but I just kind of want it to be my side gig. Like, I think pharmacy is a pretty good side gig. You're comfortable that enough PRN will be there that anxiety is not there that of worrying like is this going to go down to maybe only someone needing me eight hours some week that would never work that mindset right so as a coach like my mind is pretty clean you're pretty comfortable that's going to be coming in yeah so at first it was like okay i'm trusting it but you know you still want to see the evidence and have that reassurance but um my coaching, you have to have the mindset of what you want now. And so that's part of my program. It's called Be Her Now hmm. because what you want. So if I'm desiring enough PRN pharmacy work to supplement my passion job, I have to be in the mindset of receiving that now. But if I'm in the scarcity mindset of it's not there, it's right. not going to be enough, or it's not going to come, that's what I'm going to find and attract. Yeah, right. Exactly. Just like sitting around the yeah. table in your early career and thinking that you were looking too young and so on. <laughs> exactly. It's crazy. It's so simple, but we just aren't taught to think this way. And so since then, there was a pharmacist that went on maternity leave. There was one that went on a medical leave. I'm not sure what happened, but another yeah. one went on medical leave. So like the work just showed up. And so you never know what it's going to look like. You just have to be open to receive and take the next step. And this is kind of crazy, but within the last week, I've had two positions offered to me. They were, you know, not 
solid just yet, but like people reaching out to me, the fashion school, the Fashion Institute of Louisiana CEO, she sent me a text saying that as a board member, what position do I want at this school? And I'm like, what does that even mean? And she sent me a list of president, vice president, director of communications, director of diversity, director of professional staff. And I'm like, is this for real? I was also approached by another um, person who invited me. I mean, how do I explain this? It's so off the wall. I don't even know how to say this. Um, I was offered a position as a dream curator. Wow. For what is to be the largest health system for community care in Louisiana. Wow. So mindset is everything. Yes. What you think about, you attract. And so now I may be at the point where I have to decide between working for a fashion institute or working for a health system, but doing the exact same thing that I love, which is coaching. Right. Crazy. Danielle, listen. I like my guests. They don't have to tell me everything, but when they say they're being truthful, I like them to be truthful. And you said that you would still like to be a pharmacist at times. Are you serious about that? <laughs> I know. I don't know if I'm just lying to myself or what. Are you serious? Are you lying to me and to, the, and to all the listeners? So I know for sure I don't want to necessarily be director of a pharmacy just because you, I mean, if that's your passion and that's your dedication, you need to be focused right. and do a great job. Right. You know, having this other side gig, this was d distracting from it. So I don't feel like I was doing a great job or showing up 100%. Um, I definitely can see myself, um, you know, I'm not working for a big chain. So right. to say that I would go put myself out in that front line, right. <laughs> not necessarily, but I love what I do. Um, I do feel like I'm helping people in the behavior health. There's such a great need. Um, I'm good at what I do. And with the long-term care, um, I'm working with other pharmacists. There's, there's technicians. I'm able to have some kind of community, but still use the knowledge that, you know, I have. I'm not buying it, Danielle. So some... <laughs> So someone says to you right now, oh, right gosh. now. Yeah, yeah. This is a great question. It really is. Here's the question. Five years from now, I'm going to put this into your head. Five years from now, we've got Danielle's you know, fashion <laughs> and you're putting in you know, exactly a 40 hour week and you're loving it and you're getting paid mm -hmm. handsomely for it. Things are hopping and, and you've got people saying, when's your book coming out? And all of this stuff that is not mm -hmm. far-fetched. I'm not saying that you're... So let's even take some of that back. Let's say that you're not... Let's say someone's not tracking you down for a book. Let's just say you're doing what you've created with coaching and with fashion and style mm -hmm. and so on. Are you telling me and the world that you would say, all right, let's say you're only going to work 40 hours or let's mm -hmm. say 50 hours. Let's say you're going to work 50 hours because some of it's your passion and so on. And as your kids start to grow up and things like that, 
you're telling me that you're going to say, nope, I'm only going to do 40 hours of this because I'm going to drive to the hospital. <laughs> I want to put my 10 hours in because because I enjoy that. Oh, gosh. Now, if, if that's the truth, fine. But is that the truth? Okay, you're putting me on the hot spot and I'm squirming in my seat because you are completely correct. You know, if I was my own coach right now, I would say that it's just holding on to that old identity. It's uncomfortable of letting that go. That is the last 15 years. That's what I know of myself. And so that's like the security blanket. It's We know it's certain. You know, if you clock in, you clock out, you get paid. Um, you know, I'm good at it. Like, that's why so many people hold on to the profession. That's a great reason, in my opinion, to hold on to it. Because in case you get sick of what you're doing or in case this or that happens. But let's say that it wasn't for financial reasons or fallback financial reasons. What if it was just for identity, just to still be in pharmacy or because you like it. Let's say it had nothing to do about financial security, Mm -hmm. but it could do with you enjoy it. You like to keep your feet in it. Mm -hmm. You like to see the patients and so on. If it was for those reasons, fine. If it wasn't for financial reasons or falling back financially, would Mm -hmm. you still be involved in it? Gosh, such a good question. I think if it wasn't for all of the policy and bureaucracy, then I'd probably say yes. But then you add all of that to the table and it makes it not very inviting and um, as appealing (laughs) to just show up and, you know, um, do it for the fun of it. You could show up and still be known as a pharmacist Mm -hmm. and put in eight or ten hours and you know, live yeah. live in that a little bit still. Even if it wasn't for financial reasons, you still might do it because you like it. But even to be in for ten hours, you've got to have yeah. you've got to have your feet stuck in that red tape. You do, you really do. And you know, I so part of my mission is to help you know women live happier, healthier, more beautiful lives. So health is a huge part of it. Um, you know, beauty is an inside job. And so I think that's where my mindset's kind of going. I'm studying functional medicine right now, and I'm tired of practicing what they call sick care and, you know, moving towards health care. I think as a coach, so I'm integrative um, life coach certified. So I have all of the stress reduction um, practices. Um, I know how to work on that, on the negative thoughts, you know, the negative environment, all of that portion of it. Um, I know the medication side of it. Now I just need to figure out the supplement and all of that. And I can see myself coaching as a pharmacist, but not necessarily as an institution, like you said, clocking in and clocking out. I think that would get old. Danielle, tell me the importance of looking good period. Tell me the importance of looking good, whatever that means for you, whether it's hairstyle, glasses, weight, clothing. Is that worth anything? Yes, it's worth so much. And it's, you know, there's science that backs it up. It's something that goes in your psyche that, you know, it doesn't matter if Mike thinks I look good. It's if I think I look good. There's just something that goes in, goes on in your brain that's first of all, allows you to show up, allows Mm. you to connect with other people. Okay, so it's almost like a check-in. Am I good? I'm good. Now I could show up and serve. Because otherwise the focus is just on, 
I don't like my clothes, I don't like my hair, I don't like, you know, I've gained some weight. If I feel like I don't look good, then the focus is all on me. Some of it is socially, you're there, but you're not really there. The focus is still like, how do I look? But then some of it, as we talked earlier, is actually not even showing up. You're stuck at home. Right. Um, I have clients that have missed weddings, um, baby showers, um, you know, all sorts of events. I have a client right now that she just won five awards and she doesn't even want to go. Um, not long ago, she was nominated for Woman of the Year. She didn't even want to go. She didn't even want to be present because she was so self-insecure um, with her outward appearance. And the thing is that the people that I'm working with, they are coaches, they are leaders, they are making an incredible impact, and they could care less what they look like. They're, they are focused on the other person, but what happens is you can't run from it because eventually you do have to come out and be seen. So the people you're working with are already leaders and they're saying to you they don't care how they look? They don't know their style. Oh, they don't? They think they do. They're showing up as they think they're supposed to. They know inside that they don't? No, I have to share that with them. Aren't you a breath of fresh air? <laughs> <laughs> I Well, I speak to their problem. Their problem is that they're not showing up to the events or that they're um, tired of trying to make, spending too much time making decisions on what to wear and not spending time focusing on where their true passion is. It's on their clients. They, they are nominated for an award and they don't want to show up and accept and receive um, because they feel insecure. And the other thing is that they know that they could reach more people on social media if they had a style that gave the message they were looking at, but they realize that they're not reaching as many people as they could. They have an inkling that if their style was better, they'd be more successful. They have an inkling that style is more important that they would like to accept. They have an inkling that they that they should probably care more about it, but they really don't. They don't care. And it's gotten them this far, so why should I bother? It's kind of the thing. <laughs> yeah. But um, they realize that it is holding them back in certain areas. And, you know, social media and marketing is a huge thing. Like, if... You can have a great product or a great service, but if no one knows about it, then it's just you. All right, Danielle, break down. So someone comes to you and there's 100% of what you're going to teach them, right? Mm -hmm. I'm assuming 95% of it is not how to style their hair and, and what lipstick they should wear. I'm assuming you're talking to them 20% about loving their heart that no one can see and 20% is believing in their smile and all that stuff. And I imagine 20% <laughs> is teaching them how to be more engaging in conversation and talking about the other person and all this mm -hmm. stuff. How much is actual style? Okay, so... This is where I struggle because I know that when they hire me, when I'm done with them, they could wear a paper bag and they're going to be confident. So it's not as important for the style to even begin with. No, I... Oh, that's... That, come on. It's, You've... Okay. Okay. Maybe no. not that drastic, but... No, that's not... 
but that's not true because you and I both know if they went on it with a paper bag onto Facebook, know, it's not going to be helpful. Right. So there's something. So I I know your <laughs> the styles. You know the, what style is your heart? Yeah. You know I know all okay. that stuff. I know I knew you were going to tell me, me break that. It down for but you. how much is actual style? Okay, so when I have a call, which our calls are normally one hour sections, okay. I try to keep it. 50-50, it kind of depends on where we're at. So, yeah. for instance, this past week, I've helped style someone for a job interview. Gotcha. And obviously, we need to figure out what she was going to wear for the job interview. So, that gotcha. was priority. So, you know, we went through her closet, what she has, talked about yeah. how she could elevate that. And then we had like a shopping trip. Sure. And then the other client is, she's, has these, she's up for these awards and she yeah. needs to wear and she doesn't have stuff like that in her closet. And so obviously gotcha. we focused on that. But I have, you know, steps, weekly steps. And so what I do is we figure out who she is inside and we try to gotcha. unlayer all of that. So there is a lot of like digging through your brain and your mind and your, your subconscious sure. and that kind of thing. But then there's also physically, I'm gonna be in your closet. So let's open the door and yeah. we're gonna go through it. And my po my process is baby steps with everything to make it gotcha. just hard enough where it's interesting, but easy enough where you don't mind doing it. And so I just walk them through it and we go through their closet and then we try on their clothes and then we go shopping if we need. You can have someone then that you dress up to the nines. I don't even know what that term means. What does that mean? Do you I know? have no to idea. The nines? Did you ever hear that before? I have heard that, but I don't know what it means. I wanna be a 10. <laughs> <laughs> My clients are all tens. <laughs> so you have someone that like dresses up perfectly, mm -hmm. but doesn't believe they're beautiful. You've got other problems going on that you need to get into. Right. Right. Besides what they're wearing. So, mm -hmm. so that's interesting. You see where they are. You challenge them enough. You spend enough time where you need to in different areas. And when they really have a show coming up that night. Mm -hmm. Or a award. Well, ninety nine percent of it's going to be on what color looks good right. on you, and we're not we're not worried about your soul at this yeah. point. Yeah, and hopefully <laughs> we've know? already done a, you know the background work. Are you with a camera, or are you in their homes actually? Um, so I haven't done any in home, though I do have two clients that I could because they're not far. Um, mm -hmm. I have actually gone shopping with one um, recently, but. Um, as far as like the closet clean out, I kind of like them doing it themselves. But are they carrying their, their laptop yes. and showing you stuff with it? Yes. So they're setting up their computer or their phone and or they're taking pics, send it to me. But whenever we're on the call, it's FaceTime. Yeah. And so, you know, the very first call, um, you know, I'm going through their closet with them. We're kind of getting rid of some things and they're showing me, you know, what they like, what they don't like. I'm trying to get an idea with them describing what they're, right. what they're gravitated to. So I had a recent client who she had like a few distinct pieces that were very, um, pointed to a very edgy, um, style. Yeah. Yet she had a very professional career and that's, you know, how she thought she needed to show up. So she could never find anything to wear with those pieces that she loved, but she would still hold on to them. And right. so once we were able to understand what style she did like, we were able to get rid of some of the stuff that she didn't and then yeah. get more that actually looked good with that. Yeah, right, right. Does this extend to how they're going to walk across the stage 
or their Facebook background now that they have this new look mm-hmm. or their Facebook picture? Or is it pretty much the right now what you look like? Okay, great question. So one of my recent clients, she flew in from Ohio to Louisiana. Uh, we were doing a, she knew I was doing a photo shoot already for my social media and she needed to do one as well. So she said, why don't I just fly out to meet you and we'll, I'll like piggyback the, so the photo shoot, we'll do the photo shoot at the same time. And I can style, you know, I styled her for the photo shoot and then also got pictures of me styling her hmm. and she got social media pictures that, um, show her, you know, doing her work or, um, more of a lifestyle setting. Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, I we set up, I set up the hair and makeup, already had the gotcha. photographer. We had the place um, that she was taking the pictures worked out really well. Um, so then she left with all of this, like 60 photos. So it was a branding. Gotcha. And I'm actually working on a branding session where I do all of that in one package so that oh, okay. my clients, they are really, they're not necessarily just starting out. You know, right? They're not. Right. They're at that point where they're feeling the pain that's holding them yeah. back. And yeah, right. You know, I take all of the decision making from that and just yeah. help them get to it really quickly. Right. That way, they could just show it up. They could show up more on social. They could start spreading yeah. their message. They could focus on their copy. Um, yeah, they feel good about their picture. They're going to spread it more and so yes. on. Yes. So they like their style. It suits them. It's who they've always been. Yeah. Now they have, you know, photos that are branded for them. I don't take the photos, but I have photographers that, you know, I can set them up with. Um, right. I'm taking it on the road in September. We're going to be in New York the week before Fashion Week. And we're looking for two branding um, clients that it's a full package. You're going to get coaching. You're going to get the photography. You're going to get um, the hair and makeup. You're going to get the clothing in even, even from a boutique that we're supporting. And, and this is someone that's probably not out necessarily looking for a job. This might be someone who's already an executive or already. They're looking to level up and they they understand the value yeah. of showing up as that full package. Yeah, right. And it's just elevate. Right. And so what happens a lot of times, just like I was stuck in that mindset, that's what always hold, held me back. You know, I had the position, but I hadn't like walked into it. If I would have gotten right. a coach, if I would have gotten a stylist, I could have shown up and just, you know, killed it. Yeah. And a lot of times by them trusting you, it takes that question away in their head of, do I look good or not? They have the trust in you. And then you say, yes, you look good. Well, now this person crosses the stage with confidence and gives a good speech with confidence and does this kind of stuff instead of having that in their mind. And then you have the full, you know, you're put together well. And yeah. so people see that and they're like, okay, I kind of trust her a little more. You trust her more, right. That they've taken the time to do that mm-hmm. and that they have confidence yes. in that. What else comes from that then? Does that affect other areas of their life? Definitely. Um, and I've seen this in my own daughter. Um, getting coaching myself and unlayering some of these negative beliefs and thoughts about my, you know, negative body image, that was all being passed down to my daughter. Today's my daughter's birthday. She turned 14. Awesome. Yeah. And I see such a difference in her because she would, you know, say that she was ugly and I knew she didn't know she didn't really think that she was ugly because I would see other times that she would you know recognize that she had beauty but I know she got that from me 
-hmm. and especially through that hard time that I was going through, that mm -hmm. I would not look at myself in the mirror and I didn't want to, you know, show up or wear clothes. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure she heard things that I said about myself. Right. And so if I could say anything, the most important part is that what you take away from, you know, putting in the time and the energy and the money to invest in yourself, to get the coaching, to focus on your style and your image, it's going to be um, returned tenfold in your children and in your children's children. And so you could break yeah. that, you know, a curse that we continue yeah. as women to, to pass along that self-image. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm kind of the opposite. I think I look good and my kids tell me I don't, so... <laughs> <laughs> they just want to keep you honest. Do you have a way you can coach them? <laughs> okay, well, that's not how it works, but I could coach you how to attract a different experience. Have you done men yet? <laughs> I try to do my husband all the time. So I dress him, but he doesn't like me playing with his mind. He's very Wait, he doesn't resistant. like you playing with what? His mind. Oh, I thought you said his money. Because so, I'm like so, that. So. My wife wants to buy me all this stuff. I'm like, I don't need that. I got... Yeah. I got... 15 year old shirts that are perfectly fine in the closet you know yeah i would like to coach i would like to coach a man though for sure i feel i'd like to dress them i think men would be much easier yeah probably they don't have as much drama sometimes what <laughs> <laughs> okay maybe i'm wrong no uh, you probably nailed that one as you progress in this you're probably better off not even mentioning your pharmacy history right probably yeah. I mean, I ain't no genius, but I'm thinking that I, yeah. if I said I'm now a men's style consultant and I used to be a pharmacist or an engineer or an accountant or something like that, they're going to say, your style is probably just back to about average where you should be if you weren't one of those professions. You know what I'm saying? And yeah, so no, totally. It mm -hmm. just seems to me when you picture a stereotype of maybe a, a pharmacist or an accountant or an engineer mm -hmm. or something, you're picturing someone that maybe is not as stylistic as a real estate agent or attorney or something like that. I, have, I don't even know if that's true, but right. that's just in my yeah. mind, okay? I see where you're going. Not focused I... on my staff. Anybody listening, not focused <laughs> on my staff. They're all greatly dressed. Yeah, of course. No, I see where you're going with that. And I struggle with that whenever I'm putting myself out there on social media. You know, do I can include that in my pharmacist? What value is that holding? And, you know, I guess there is some sort of, you know, there's always that, you know, our pharmacists are respected and, you know, maybe trustworthy. Yeah. You know, because if you're giving someone your money, that's part of it. You want to build a, you know, trust um, relationship because, you know, right. there you can connect with a lot of people on social media, but you, they may not necessarily trust you to give you right. your money. But you're right. Um, pharmacists aren't necessarily the top of the mind to the most stylists. But I think the reason I continue to do it is because I do want to reach out to those pharmacists that are thinking, you know, um, could I do something else? Right. So oh, I yeah. connected with a pharmacist. She's a designer. Oh. And, and this was actually before I stepped into this stylist role. Um, I was inspired by her oh. because she's a stylist. I mean, she's a designer. She has her own design line. And in fact, today she messaged me asking me about a fashion week in Atlanta. And oh. so I would hate to lose those connections right. and where I could lift other, you know, pharmacists up that may want to pursue styling or fashion. Let's say three years from now, what percent of your clients, your coaching clients, do you think might be pharmacists? Might it be 10 percent? Might it be 50 percent? It's hard to say because, you know, who knows then that I might be a 
a more of a business coach where I'm, you know, showing them. So just, you know, it's just being a page ahead, a chapter ahead yeah. of someone else and showing them how you broke through that. Yeah, it's interesting because you could take the niche if it was big enough. You want to take the smallest niche that's the most profitable, let's say, or, you know, that's profitable. Mm -hmm. So if you can make that niche into pharmacy, if there's enough there, you would probably be, well, maybe be chosen above other non-pharmacy yeah. style coaches, unless they think too, why do I want someone else in my <laughs> profession? Because I see how they all <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, I totally get it. If you hear the word executive, because you were an executive, right, in your in your hospital positions. Yeah. If you use the word executive, executives seem to dress nicely, I would say. Okay. Five years from now, what does your life look like? And I'm not talking kids and husband and that, because that's mm -hmm. the most important we know. But what does your career look like? What are you... I definitely have one-on-one -on -one coaching clients. Um, I love working one-on-one. -on -one. There's just something about that connection. So I would never want to give that up. Um, I see myself hosting more retreats. I had a retreat last March and that was amazing. So where, um, you know, individuals can come together like-minded mm -hmm. and just, you know, build that energy together. Um, I love the idea of having masterminds where, you know, people like myself, I could get, you know, more of me in the same room. Is there anything, Danielle, that you picture yourself scaling? In other words, earlier I talked about a book or a video series or something. Is there anything that you picture in that place that you're multiplying yourself? Yes. I'm always thinking of that because in the big picture, like I said before, the more money you make, the more sure. people you can serve. And I would like to free up some of right. my time. And, you know, I would like to maybe not join the Peace Corps, but go off and do some mission work and, you know, whatnot. But um, definitely evergreen courses. I've thought about doing things like that where it would be, a, you know, a course maybe on mindset or on styling that would be like a, you call it a tiny offer where someone, you know, multiple people could buy it and, I do like the idea of group membership. That's a thing right now where, you know, you could have people come that are interested in learning yeah. from you. It's just a platform. Um, as far as really scaling, it's, you know, as much as I tell my clients to have a big vision, yeah. sometimes it's hard to do that, even for myself. A lot of times people say, I follow my passion. It's like, oh, not really. You probably had about 10 passions and... One of them seemed to work out, and therefore you followed that one, and you're getting remunerated for that because you found that's what people needed. So sometimes it's hard to have those real big visions because, yeah, you know, they could be multiple. It could be, let's say, a book. It could be a fashion show on a cable TV. It could be whatever. It could be a, a lot of things, but you don't know exactly what direction that'll go unless you're mm -hmm. sort of have that feeling of what direction that is. Yeah. I think the vision is just to get you to start stepping out there and going towards right. something. And then you, what I love is just like looking for the signs. Yeah. And so, right. you know, what are you getting confirmation that you're on the right path? And it's not going to look like you, what you thought it was yeah look exactly like. you got to keep your eyes open for those signs I would not have guessed that I would be a style 
Yeah, <laughs> right. Consultant. I would have never said, oh, that's what I'm going yeah, to exactly, be. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, Danielle, what would be a few tips that you would give the average person? And we'll pick on pharmacists. No, we're not going to pick on pharmacists. Let's just say pharmacists because that's the world that I know and some of the world that you still know. What are like three tips of style? And none of that heart baloney or believe in yourself stuff. I want okay. like today's the day you have to walk across the stage of your workplace. So what are those three tips? I would say know your body type. You know, you have to dress all body types. So know your body type and what looks good yeah. on you. Stop trying to hide what you don't like and emphasize what you do. That's my the main one that I think. Uh, make sure you purchase things that fit and periodically make sure that they still fit. What do you mean by not hiding stuff? Don't wear a tent. Don't wear, so for, I'll just go back to my own experience. When I had put on extra weight, I couldn't find a shirt that was long enough. L long enough. Like I have this one t-shirt that is so long. I'm like, what was I thinking? What was I hiding? I wasn't hiding anything. I was bringing more attention oh, to what right. I didn't want to see. And so there's such thing as called as fabric fat. That makes you look even bigger. Fabric fat? Fabric fat. <laughs> Extra fabric that you're hiding underneath. Yeah, so it's like nobody wears a shirt that long unless they're trying to hide their behind <laughs> yeah, or something. Yeah, so own, like, own your body shape. You have a beautiful body shape. Um, if you have, you know, there could be a full hourglass for women that maybe they still feel like they need to lose some weight and they're not comfortable. So they wear really um, loose clothing, but for an hourglass-shaped hour woman, like you want it to be fitted. You want to accentuate your waist. Let's take, in your case, the oversized shirt. What could you have done differently than hiding under that shirt? I could have had, because I do have a waist, even though, you know, Let's be real. I was trying to hide my rear end. <laughs> I don't know if you could say that on there. I didn't say it. <laughs> I didn't say it. I don't know if you could say that on there, but in my mind, that's where all the weight goes first. Now we got to label this you have to edit all podcast that? as Sorry. explicit because you said rear end. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how to present it in other ways. So You still have a waist. Yeah. So instead of hiding that, I still had a waist. You accentuate the waist with a three-inch gold belt or something. Right. Have a pretty, um, you know, emblem on my belt. And then also I could wear a jacket that gives weight yeah. on the top that kind of balances things out. So instead of wearing a super tight, um, I guess not super tight, but say like a thin right. material on top. And so it's like skinny on top yeah, and then there's right. the waist and the hip. You add a jacket yeah. so it kind of balances things out. Shoulder pads. Yeah, shoulder pads are great. I thought shoulder pads were out. No. They're still in? They're still there. Yeah. They're actually I, probably in the next season going to be even more out. <laughs> right now, puffy sleeves are really big. But not everyone can wear a puff sleeve. I thought those went out when Prince died. Everything comes back in. Don't you know that? I guess so. I should have kept all my clothes from the 90s because it's all back in. But that's what it is. It's just balancing things out. 
and I'm not going to go in the woo-woo stuff, the mind stuff, because there's something there too, but I know you don't want to talk about that. But um, yeah, just balancing it out and knowing your body shape. So for someone who has broad shoulders, a woman, and she has a very small hip, she doesn't want super skinny jeans and a jacket on top. That right. would just look crazy. So you want more of a trouser, you know, looser pants that gives more width. This is if they have a, a small bottom? Yeah. Right. If they have like a straight bottom small and then broad shoulders. Say they're like a swimmer or something. Yeah, right. You know, they have like a V shape. You don't want to throw in a jacket yeah. and then skinny jeans. I'm a swimmer, but probably more of a shape of a whale. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> How, so three tips for the men. Okay, for the men, a male pharmacist. Now this is like pharmacist. a this so, is like this is like heaven for you. There's just so much to work oh, with, right? You're not kidding. Other than the white and I'm the coat. leader. I'm the leader. Um, I think men can pull out, you know, show their personality, of course, through their their ties if they're wearing a tie, or if they're wearing a bow tie. I've seen some wear bow ties, or with their socks. Um, shoes is a big thing. Um, just knowing your style, you know. And just expressing yourself. So is it fun? Are you fun? Then you'll wear bright colors, maybe silly sh- ties with a meaning. Let's pick on the negative, though. What are the th- what are the negative things you see with guys? What do th- guys um, do three things wrong when they dress? Let's see. I think the main thing that's my pet peeve is a, if they're wearing a dress shirt, it's like just a slouchy um, opening where it just kind of like falls. Like, you want it to be crisp. The dress shirt. The dress shirt. The dress shirt. Yeah. And obviously fit. Like, you want the length to hit you, you know, correctly. You don't want it to be too long because that just looks frumpy. And then obviously too short, you look silly. Okay. So, if for men, the main thing is fit. So, if you can go to a tailor, a tailor would be your best friend. Yeah. It would be definitely worth the extra money, especially since you all get so much um, wear in your clothes. If you buy right. quality clothes, you can yeah. wear them, get them tailored, get them fit. Men, if, if they shift weight, they'll either go through a shirt that's too tight or something that's too big. Mm-hmm. And we want to find something that's right. Right. You don't want the buttons um, gapping. So when you button it up and if it's too tight, it'll gap. You don't want that. But you don't want it too big either because then you get the fabric flat, fat. What if you pop the button off? Does that count then? Is the button still being there? Is that like the Hulk, Incredible Hulk, something? Well, whatever. I don't know. I'm thinking lower down in the abdomen area. I don't know. I think with men, it's going to be knowing your style, knowing your your shape, your fit. With you know, the pants. um, You, if you are an oversized male, you don't necessarily want pleated pants. Those are going to add more volume. But if you're a skinny guy, you may want pleats. Oh, because pleats are almost like hiding. It's like you're almost saying, I'm going to put more fabric. It's almost like wearing your shirt too long. You're saying, I'm going to put more fabric here because I I'm need gonna it. I'm going to hide, but then it's just like making you look bigger. Because it puffs out. Because it puffs out. Yeah, yeah, it's like opposite mindset kind of thing. Yeah, it's kind of like opposite. What should men have as a t-shirt and undershirt if they don't have a tie on? I think the V-neck t-shirts work best for men. Really? I do. Uh, unless it's a good quality t-shirt. That's where I think it is because I like wearing 
a nice white t-shirt with a nice tight band mm -hmm. but when when you stretch those bands out got to get of rid the of the t-shirt that's when they that's when they start looking bad yeah it just sends out a message like what else is he like is his work like loose and frumpy like a shirt yeah <laughs> you know it's just little things but I used to say that one time I saw this article and it was it was some, you know, some pharmacist and they came in and they were wondering why the their independent pharmacy wasn't doing well. And there's this picture of this pharmacist with big gold pinky ring and chest hair, you know, flowing out. And, and that was just the women. What? Oh, my no. God. <laughs> oh, my God. Danielle. Who should reach out to you and how do they reach out to you or at least get to know more of your stuff? Okay. I would love to work with you. If you are a leader that is wanting to elevate your style and get a promotion or you want to attract mm -hmm. more clients and impact more people, um, I would love to speak with you. You can have a free one-on-one -on -one call. Our call, first call is always free, 45 minutes. Um, mm -hmm. You'll definitely take away some value just from making the call. And you can contact me on LinkedIn at Dr. Danielle Paradin. I'm also Dr. Danielle Paradin on Instagram and Danielle, just Danielle Paradin on Facebook. Um, I have a website. It's DanielleParadin.biz. I know that's not the easiest thing to spell, so I'm thinking you're going to have it in the show notes. We'll have it um, in the notes. Okay. So, yeah, just send me a message. Contact me. I would love to hear your story and what you're working on. And if you're on Instagram and you're a, uh, you know, trying to promote yourself on there, we do have a Facebook group now. It's called Pharmacist of Instagram. Hmm. And we're trying to promote one another. So just wanted to share that. Oh, that's really cool. Yep. That's really cool. Well, Danielle, thank you for your time. That's really fascinating stuff. It, it's <laughs> kind of foreign to me. My my wife is very fashionable, and I've chosen the opposite of that. But it's really <laughs> neat hearing really neat hearing about it and the, and the good it can do for someone. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. It was fun. Well, thanks, Danielle. I think I might call all the people on your work list, on your PRN <laughs> list, and tell them to stop bothering you. Oh, I know, right? Oh, it's such a security blanket. Oh. I'm going to force you into that. I really do believe that pharmacists are at a forefront right now. I believe that all of the bad things that are happening to pharmacy industry yeah. and as a whole is a positive thing. I think it's what is needed for us to have an awakening, to step into our power, to step into um, all that we know and all that we can help. Um, right now, with the income that we've been used to yeah. and the security, I believe that we've been playing small yeah. and just, you know, stay, keeping yeah. so safe. And so it had to get this bad, this bad for us to step out and try to make a change. Yeah. And I think that we can help so many people. I think if you're thinking as a pharmacist to become a coach, think that we are perfectly trained to, we have empathy, we have listening skills, we want right. to help people so badly. That's why we joined the profession. Um, we have the knowledge to help them. And right now the health care system is broken. There's not enough nurses, there's not enough physicians, and there is a surplus of pharmacists. So I really see a wave, talking to a lot of yeah. um, pharmacists doing different things. I see a wave building in the background, 
And I just see it as a really positive thing to get us out of our comfort zone. Let's just say the wages are going down. You'll have some people, that's their happy zone. They'll want to be in that regardless of the pay. You'll have some that want to, in pharmacy, increase their pay. And so they'll be doing innovative things in pharmacy and maybe even not being the number one, maybe the number three in an organization or the number 10 and finding entrepreneurial tendencies to raise their whole company's value or their shift value and hopefully that will pay off and then there's people that will finally say you know i stayed in pharmacy because it was just too appealing it was it was mm-hmm. f- 500% more than i was going to be able to get on my own doing something totally different well now that maybe it's only you know 200% different or 150% different mm-hmm. people start saying well now that other road looks a little bit more appealing and and if maybe I jump completely or pretty completely, then uh, that extra maybe anxiety will force another 50% or whatever and I'll be right up there anyway. So exactly. I think it'll it'll lead more pharmacists to um, their natural calling or you know what yeah. they're always meant to do in the first place. Yeah, very true. Well, thank you for your efforts on that, Danielle. You're welcome. Thanks, Danielle. Bye-bye. All right, thanks so much. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Business of Pharmacy podcast with me, your host, Mike Kelzer. Please subscribe for all future episodes.